Today's podcast is brought to you by Every Wednesday, a plan to inspire the people of Portland and support the place we call home. Let's get out of the house and spend some time with each other. Skip Zoom, meet for coffee, take your colleagues out to happy hour. Buying a gift? Ditch the internet and support a local maker by shopping in-store. Head into town every Wednesday and see what's going on at everywednesdaypdx.com. Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week, where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all. Enjoy the show. This week's WW cover story is a free-spirited photo essay on the Portland watercraft community and how they all congregate at iconic pit stop Fred's Marina. It's fun. It's charming. It's a wonderful way to welcome summer, but um, we're not going to boat chat today. Instead, we're unpacking another one of this week's big stories, Decline and Fall. Today, we're going to catch up with Sophie Peel about her continuing coverage of the problematic rise and devastating fall of dispensary chain La Mota, and how their association with the Secretary of... Oh, I'm sorry, former Secretary of State, Shamia Fagan, led to Fagan's resignation from her office. Yeah, of course there's more to this story. What, are we new here? It's Saturday, June 17th, and this is episode 128 of The Dive. Here's what I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. Lucas Manfield reports that a new religious 501c3 named Loving One Another has hit the streets of northwest Portland, offering the houseless populations their food and access to shelter. But this is not your typical nonprofit. It was created by Alex Stone, the founder of a private security company called Echelon Protective Services. They supply armed guards to downtown businesses that are fed up with sidewalk camping and the crime associated with drug use. The nonprofit is helping to win the security company new business, including a $1.5 million deal with the Pearl District to use both Stone's armed guards and his philanthropic outreach workers to address vandalism, theft, and drug dealing outside their doors. From the WW website, Jake Moore reports that more than 1,800 nurses working for Providence hospitals and programs including hospice and home health providers voted June 4th to go on strike. The strike begins at 5.30 a.m. Monday, June 19th. If it goes forward, it will be the first large-scale health worker strike in more than 25 years. As you can imagine, it is expected to have potentially devastating effects on the hospital's care capacity. And on the back pages, Chant Solemn Pfeiffer spoke with Vancouver filmmaker Drew Hawley, whose PBS documentary, Buffalo Soldiers Fighting on Two Fronts chronicles untold history of all-black military regiments during the 1800s. Now, let's chat about the ever-unfolding drama around La Mota and Shamia Fagan with Sophie Peel. In late May, I think it was May 25th, um, the Attorney General, or sorry, the U.S. Attorney General's office 
issued five subpoenas to uh, Oregon state agencies. So that included the Oregon Department of Revenue, um, the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission, uh, and, a, and a handful of others. And the three names listed on those subpoenas as far as, you know, what they wanted documentation of, um, and that included emails, text, pretty much any communications, uh, were former Secretary of State Shamia Fagan and then the owners of the Lamoda dispensary chain, Rosa Casares and Aaron Mitchell. And, of course, it was it was those two, you know, their relationship with Shamia that, that resulted in her resignation. So, um, you know, the, the, the feds are looking into this, and it's really unclear what exactly they're pursuing. I think what, what I've heard from... Uh, legal experts is that it's it's maybe not likely, but one sort of plausible explanation is that they might be looking for a violation of the Hobbs Act, which has sort of been widely used to persecute um, public officials who have, uh, you know, wielded their um, wielded their political power for sort of personal gain. Um, and so that's that's where we're at as far as the investigation goes. You know, of course, the, the feds won't um, won't confirm the existence of an investigation. Of course, you know, we, we know it's ongoing. Uh, there's a um, grand jury trial scheduled for June 21st. So I think that's next week, but that's likely to get pushed back. Um, June 21st is really just just the date when those five state agencies need to produce the documentation that the feds had requested. So that's where the investigation stands right now. I think now, now it means there's three ongoing investigations into the whole Shamia Fagan Lamota scandal. There's there's two that are statewide, and then you know the, the feds came in as well. Yikes! Where is Shamia now? We found what we you know got confirmation of um, uh, last week is that she's she's reemployed now. So she is reemployed by her former employer, which is a Seattle-based uh, law firm that mostly does employment law. And she's not working as a lawyer because she's not readmitted to the bar in Oregon or in Washington. But, you know, she's doing something for them. Um, and so she is, you know, she's reemployed by her former employer that she worked for, before, you know, prior to becoming secretary of state in 2020. And uh, the the uh, one of the two owners of that firm, you know, had really glowing things to say about Shamia last week. He said, you know, she's one of the most ethical and hardworking people I've ever met. And, you know, this is Oregon's loss in our game. So um, she found, you know, new employment surprisingly quickly. Is she fundraising for defense? Uh, not the last time I checked, I should probably check, but, um, <laughs> the last time I checked was on Tuesday and at that point she had not, cause it, you know, you have to file with the secretary of state's office, ironically, <laughs> um, God. if, if you're going to raise legal defense funds and we haven't, we haven't seen that yet. It would be a new pack. However, there, um, you know, when she, when she resigned or the day before she resigned, she said that she was going to, she was going to spend the rest of her funds available in her pack, which I think was right around um, 11500 she was going to give it to the Oregon Humane Society. And it's, you know, over 40 days since she said that, and, and she still hasn't done that. I mean, that $11,000 is still sitting in her campaign funds, and when we had asked her attorney about it, he, they declined to comment. So there wasn't any, you know, we still intend to do this. We're, you know, we're, uh, we're reaching some barriers or whatever. It was just we're declining to comment, which is odd. And, you know, I, 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 I don't really know what to make of that. I think some people would say, well, she's holding on to this money so she can use these as when she's really, you know, in desperate shape and she needs to uh, fund legal defense. But I, I think it's too, you know, I don't want to jump the gun and say that because I really don't know. But it's, mm. but it's odd. Yeah. Yeah. So what have um, Aaron and Rosa's response to this been? 
they've really gone quiet. I mean, um, you know, they had given one one interview with I think it was Coin News uh, last month, um, and I don't think that interview really. Uh, you know, they they had basically what they argued was we're learning from our mistakes. We feel like we're being fairly unfairly treated in the media. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't treat a restaurant like this. They only treat us like this because we're a cannabis business, which is I can say is not not true. But yeah. um, so since then they've they've really gone quiet. You know, they've sort of cycled through uh, a couple different um, uh, political advisors and lawyers. So initially they were being represented by Amy Margolis, who is a well known sort of bulldog cannabis lawyer. She's no longer representing them in litigation. For I think three or four weeks, they were working with um, a uh, political consultant named Chris Edmonds. He's no longer working with them. Um, they've sort of cycled through various lawyers. Uh, they, for a time, were going to work with a lobbyist named John Audley. And for unclear reasons, that never went through. So they're kind of on their own right now. I mean, in a, they, they still have, I think, five um, current uh, civil cases in Oregon Circuit Courts. A couple of them are approaching trial. In three of those, they do have refuse, representation from sort of a, um, a hodgepodge of uh, lawyers from Hart Wagner. And then in their biggest case, though, they are without representation. And that goes to trial in, in July. And right now they're representing themselves, which is a really precarious and dangerous position to be in, especially when the allegations are, uh, are you know, really, really serious allegations. Um, we also know that, uh, at least according to the subpoenas, which did list the addresses of Shamia, Aaron, and Rosa, that Aaron and Rosa are living separately. Uh, they're living about a mile apart on the west side in different apartments. You know, they share a young daughter together, and um, we had known from our reporting that they've sort of been on the fritz for a while now, so it's unclear if they're, if they're really presenting a united front anymore or not. Uh, and then as far as their, their business, I mean, two Lamota stores closed last month. They've opened two in New Mexico, um, and I'm not sure the health of their business right now. So I, I don't know. They're, it's sort of a big black box uh, as far as Aaron and Rosa go. Wow. Are other folks, like, jumping on this payback bandwagon now that Aaron and Rosa have been exposed? Like, are other people coming forward? They owe me money. Well, they owe me money. Is that kind of thing happening? Oh, yeah. I've, man, my inbox, <laughs> I would say I've probably had 10 to 15 people email me um, in the past, you know, month and a half saying you know, anywhere from they owe me 50K to, sorry, like two, you know, $2,000 to 50K to 100K. And these are people who who didn't take them to court for, for various reasons, maybe because they couldn't afford the legal fees or they just didn't think it was worth the trouble. I mean, going to court is just expensive for yeah. all parties. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's, you know, I think what we had reported early on was sort of the tip of the iceberg as far as what, what uh, bridges they've, they've burned. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know even in my own personal conversations with my own circle of cannabis worker friends, you know, nobody has lovely, glowy stories about them. It's all, oh, yeah, they owe me $4,000. Well, they owe me $30,000. You know, there's no, no one's like, I loved working with them. It was always a yeah, pleasure. Yeah, I've been hard pressed. And, I, you know, I talked to so many people during this reporting on Lamoda, and I've been hard pressed to find 
one person who just has blanket good things to say about them. And and that's kind of rare in the cannabis industry. Like even for the big guys, you know, you have a lot of people with strong feelings about nectar and chalice and, but they've also got their defenders. Yeah. Um, in Lamoda, I have, I've kind of been able to find a real defender for them. One thing that um, jumped out at me in this story was that uh, Rosa in an interview explaining that, Aaron is the sole owner of 57 of their 60 companies. Was that always the story? Uh, no. I mean, um, you know, she has been identified in pretty much all media articles, including ours early on, that she was a co-owner. And that's because why we had originally written that is um, because Amy Margolis, who had sent us a letter prior to our first story publishing, basically saying, hey, the questions you're asking are, uh, you know, they're basically placing my clients in danger. She had said, I'm representing the co-owners of LaModa, Rosa Casares and Aaron Mitchell. You know, it's one of the few uh, marijuana businesses in Oregon that is co-owned by, you know, a woman of color. So, you know, they represented, she represented herself as a co-owner of this business. And then, you know, I'm, I'm going through these deposition documents um, and she, I think this deposition was taken about a month ago, maybe a little bit over a month ago. So it's not like anything would have changed from now until then, but, um, or from then until now, but in there, Rosa had said unequivocally, Aaron Mitchell is the sole owner of 57 of the 60, you know, businesses that we own here in Oregon. And the other three are co-owned by people that are not me. So Whoa. basically she, she was saying, I don't, I don't, I don't co-own anything, which is really interesting because that does change the narrative. I mean, she's sort of held up as the face of this company and yet her, her husband, or sorry, not her husband, her longtime partner, maybe, maybe not partner anymore, who's a a white man from Florida, uh, owns the whole operation, which I I think is just, um, and, and I sort of heard that all along is that he's really the one who I think controls this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been the face of it, but he holds the reins. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got the money. He's the one who buys the properties and then transfers them to LLCs. Uh, so he's got the assets, which, which I think is just, I, I'm not sure what to make of that yet, but I, but I think it may become, I think it may matter Yeah. Um, in the coming, you know, weeks or months. Yeah. Wow. That's so wild. Um, Mm -hmm. She was like, uh, I hate to think of, I hate to think of her being manipulated or um, pushed into some kind of figurehead, some kind of empty proxy figurehead type of position. It's just so gross. It's so slimy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I, um, I think one thing I've always, I'm still struggling to understand is like what exactly their dynamic is. And if, if they both sort of, um, control the reins of this company not necessarily ownership wise but sort of in its direction there are things i still don't understand and i've um you know i've heard really different things from different people who know them so that for me too is like you know there's a lot of speculation about their interpersonal relationship and if there's a power dynamic some people say that rose is the one who like has all the power in the relationship and that aaron's sort of quiet and demure and then there's people who say, no, Aaron's actually the one who has all the power. And so anyways, you know, there's a lot of speculation out there. And I, I, I just don't know, you know, mm. um, but it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so as the, uh, I guess the fourth, the, the leading expert on what's going on here, where do you predict this goes next? Oh, gosh. 
worst case scenario, Shamia Fagan isn't facing like jail time or anything, right? Would she just be barred from being in public office again? And uh, same for Rose and Aaron. Like, what worst case scenario? What happens? That's a good question. I actually don't know. I mean, I think worst case scenario, I mean, under the Hobbs Act, I think you can spend time in prison. But I think there is very, a teeny, tiny, like, I think that is a decimal point chance. Mm. Um, you know what? A couple experts that I talked to had said, by looking at the subpoenas, it doesn't look like the feds really have a strong idea of what charges they want to press, if any, right now. These are really broad subpoenas. So they don't think looking at these that the feds have really like narrowed in on a legal argument. They're casting a really broad net. I think they're seeing what's out there. So I don't think we have a really strong sense of what charges they would bring and if they actually have that strong of a case. So I think there's a decent shot that the feds are going to look into this and then it, it never goes anywhere because they, they don't have a strong argument for anything. Um, and I think that's a real possibility. Um, I, I don't know if, if, uh, if you're fat. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if she would be barred from office. I mean, I think even if she wouldn't like legally be barred from office, uh, just, no, she wouldn't run again. I mean, I don't think she'd find any supporters. Yeah. Um, Aaron and Rosa, I, I, I don't know. I mean, when, looking at the subpoenas, it doesn't look like the focus is on them. It looks like if the feds are going to bring charges against anyone or try to bring charges against anyone, it's going to be, it's going to be Shamia. You know, Aaron and Rosa sort of seemed like uh, kind of an afterthought. The one thing, I mean, that that I'm still really curious about is. You know, they owe a lot in taxes. I mean, they've still got over $4 million in outstanding tax liens issued by the feds for taxes stretching back to 2018. Many of those are employment taxes. So what, you know, what employers are supposed to pay to the feds for, uh, you know, Medicare and Social Security and unemployment benefits. And they have racked up over $4 million and they haven't paid them off. And so I'm wondering if at some point the IRS will step in. And I don't know what their threshold is for uh, when they do that, but um, Aaron and Rosa to me are the are the ones that I'm a little bit more curious about how it's going to end because I feel like uh, I just don't feel like I've really gotten my hands wrapped around what the possibilities are for their fate. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we watch with bated breath. Um, <laughs> anything left out? Um, I, I, well, I had covered. I I mentioned this in the piece, but there's sort of an interesting little disagreement between um shamia fagan and uh a pack so I'll, I'll back up a little bit in in mid-april the democratic lieutenant governors association which is a pack that you know funds democratic lieutenant governors of which shamia secretary of state is like oregon's version of a lieutenant governor second in command they have given her a twenty five thousand dollar donation and they had told me, you know, Shania had asked for that donation at a spring event. She said that it was for her reelection campaign. And um, six days later, after that, that $25,000 was deposited into her account, she paid herself. She reimbursed herself $20,000, which politicians reimbursing themselves from their campaign isn't, isn't necessarily it, it's not abnormal. But what is abnormal is just the amount. 20K is a lot. That's something we don't normally see. And just the timing of that 25K donation and six days later she pays herself 20K, I think was a little suspect. And when, when we went to Shamia and her attorney and said, hey, can you describe, you know, what did you solicit this donation for? You paid yourself really shortly after. They said, 
uh, well, the, the, the Lieutenant Governor's Association had given us this 25K for a fundraising event for Shamia. And the DLGA just says that's no, it wasn't for that. It was for her reelection campaign. So there's kind of this this weird. I, I don't think it's a miscommunication. I think there is um, there's a real disagreement about what that 25k was solicited for, and whether it was sort of initiated by Shamia, which the DLGA would argue, and or if it was kind of offered up by the DLGA for a fundraising event for Shamia. So. It's just a little strange. Like, there, there's some real tension there about what that was. Big thanks to this week's guest, Sophie Peel, and thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Until then, bye! Bye!